You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. Worship team, that was fantastic. What a fitting um, response to communion. I don't know about you. I got chills um, singing those things and remembering uh, what Christ did for us and uh, what that um, should change in our lives. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to continue in our series, Only One Gospel. And today we are looking at the purpose of of freedom from Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 15. Uh, We have made it. Uh, in the back, we're in the home stretch now in Galatians, and I hope you've loved studying this book as much as I have. It has been amazing to study this book. I have learned so much about um, Galatians, about God's, um, why he put this in his word. My soul and my heart have been encouraged and challenged, and that's the best, right? I love being encouraged. I love being challenged. I love learning more about God and seeing that change our lives. That's very exciting. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into our text this morning. Lord, I come one more time and just say thank you for all these people sitting here in front of me. Um, They bring me such joy. I know they bring you such joy, Lord, as children of yours. Um, We are overflowed with joy as we have just considered, spent time considering what you have done for us, that while we hated you, um, you loved us enough and to be beaten and torn and nailed to a cross um, for us. And then you came back to life, demonstrating yourself as the God of the universe, the one that is powerful over sin, powerful over death. Um, Because you desire, um, in your goodness and out of your love, um, to be with us, even though we don't deserve it. And so we say thank you, thank you, thank you, God, um, for this great truth. We pray that you would open our minds and our hearts this morning to your word. God, I pray that um, it wouldn't be my words, but it would be your words. I pray that um, what we read here at the start, your text, um, what you have written um, to Christians, Lord, and what you desire for us to learn um, from the day you wrote it until eternity um, would um, rock us, rock our world, and change our hearts and our lives in your name. Amen. All right, let's start by reading Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified By the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? 
In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves for freedom. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We're going to take some time and just work our way through the text in chunks at a time. So let's work it. Let's first look at verses 1 through 6. So it's up on the screen, and you can also see it in your Bible. And just as a quick overview, as we're getting in to chapters 5 and 6, what Paul's going to do, right, the Apostle Paul who's writing this letter, he's going to tell us the practical implications of what he's been hammering over and over and over again up to this point, right? And what's his point been up to now in Galatians, right? If I come to you and say, hey, what's Galatians about? What are you going to say, right? I think a lot of you would have a good answer, right? We know that Paul's been arguing until he's blue in the face. He's saying there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel, and it changes your life. And now in chapters 5 and 6, he's going to outline um, for us a few practical implications for what believing the true gospel changes in your life as a Christian. And so that's where we're going and what we're going to be looking at in chapters 5 and 6 as we move through. And so he starts here in verse 1, right? Remember we tied that in with what we studied at the end of verse 4, right? He reminds us that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then in those next couple of verses, he just sort of summarizes everything as he's about to springboard into these practical applications. And he reminds them of everything that he has been telling them because he loves them, right? And the, the motivation and the goal is all built off of the theology. So he reminds them of that. And then he gets to verse six. And look what he says in verse six. In verse six, he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. And so what does he tell them there? Right? He says circumcision or no circumcision, the only thing that matters as it relates to who is in and who is out of the family of God, he's saying the only way that you enter the family of God is not because of your parents, it's not because of tradition, it's not because of your heritage, but it's through faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. In Jesus Christ this son of God who loved you and died in your place, right? So that if you repent, and repent means like you're going this way and you do a super sick drift move and you're going back that way, like 180 going the other way, right? You're running, you're, instead of running away from God, now you're running towards God and you want to follow him. You want to love him in the power that he wants to give you, right? And then he wants to give you the faith and he wants you to have the faith to trust him. Right, to say, God, you are who you say you are. And have faith that God wants to save you and is able to save you. And he will. And when you place your faith in Christ, then he changes your heart and he changes your life. And that change is expressed outwardly because you live different, right? Just like the song that we were singing, right? So when you get this new heart, um, what does that really mean? We, we talk about that as Christians all the time. God gave you a new heart. What does that mean? It means you have new desires, that's what it means, right? So you have new desires. You have a new purpose. You have new things that you love. The things that you used to love, they're not as important now as the things that you love now. Because who do you love first and foremost? God. 
And you love following God. You want to follow him. You want to do the things that he's called you to do because you have faith and you trust him and you believe that he cares for you and he's calling you to do what is for um, his glory and for your good. And so we're going to do a little exercise, actually kind of ties in with what Dustin asked us to do last week. Um, And I just think it's such a good exercise to do. I get you guys to do this often um, because I hope it brings encouragement and then there's also times where it brings conviction, and both are good, right? Both are good in our lives. We need encouragement, and we also need conviction. Why isn't conviction encouraging? Right? Because it means you're growing, right? It means you're growing. It means you're hearing God in your life. That is exciting, right? That the God of the universe is speaking to you. And so what I want you to do is this. It relates to um, verse 6 there. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you where he has been taking your faith in God, and expressing it as love in your life. Where's God doing that in your life? Right? Where is your love for those around you growing? Right? Where it doesn't make sense. Right? It's easy for it to grow around for the stuff that does make sense. But what about when it's hard? Right? And most of you have an answer. Right? I could give an answer for a lot of you. Right? And that's super encouraging. Right? That the God of the universe is working in you. And you can see it. I can see it. People around you can see it. Be encouraged. Right? Church isn't always like, oh, wow, I came to church and found out I'm the worst Christian ever. Right? Like, be encouraged that God is working in you. And for those of you, because there are some, right? And I've sat in this chair and been like, yeah, that's me in this place. Right? For some of you, you might realize that it's been a while since you've really been changed since you've really seen faith working through love. And the thing, the last thing that comes to mind when you think about faith working through love maybe was a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, right? And you've been holding on to that thing that God did back then instead of allowing God to continue to change, you continue to see faith working through love now. And so if you're in that boat, then you know you've got some business to do with God because God's not calling you to change every year five years, 10 years. He wants to continually mold you into his own image. He wants to see faith working through love in our lives. Next, let's look at verses seven through 12. Um, Just scan it with your eyes. We won't read it all. It's up on the screen. Hopefully you're looking at in your Bible as well. What does Paul say at the start? He says, you were running really well and then someone stopped you, right? He's like, What's ha- what happened? You were doing great. You were running in this direction. You were going so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? What's up? What's going on? He's checking in with them, right? And what's the warning here? What's the warning here that Paul's giving in this little section? It's this. Don't be the one to hinder people from obeying the truth, right? This is why studying God's word is important, Right? And God calls all of us to look at his word, right? This is why listening to the Holy Spirit is important. And this is why having humility as we do those things is important. Because if you remember a few weeks ago, um, the whole disagreement in Galatians, like basically the point that the book is written, right, is there's this disagreement between the Judaizers and Paul around the gospel. And what does it mean to be saved, Right? And so the problem that Paul's trying to point out to them is that the Judaizers have an interpretation issue. Right? They have a Bible study issue. Right? They've got something 
wrong. Like they're not these evil people, right? What were they trying to do? They are zealously trying to follow God, right? That's why they're teaching this because they believe it to be true, right? So they're they're zealously trying to follow God and that's a good thing, right? But here's the point. Just trying your best to love God is not enough. It needs to be done in obedience, right? It needs to be done in the power of the spirit and in truth, right? So if you remember what's going on with this disagreement, um, getting circumcised, right? This issue of circumcision, getting circumcised was the way, like for a very long period of time that God himself had set out for his people to show their love and obedience to him and to be accepted into the family of God. Like it's not this awful thing forever. It was set out by God. Like that's how you showed yourself to love God and to want to obey him, and to trust him, and to be in his family. That's how you did it, and it came from God. But remember, what changed? Jesus, right? Jesus changed that. Remember, we kept looking at, that's what Paul keeps trying to tell them. He's like, there's this apocalyptic event. There's something that's changed everything, and it's Jesus. When Jesus came to the cross, and the Old Testament points to this, right? It points to Jesus, Right? Jesus told us in the New Testament that everything in the Old Testament points to him. Right? And we've looked at a number of those verses, but the Judaizers missed those. And so what they're doing is they're running hard, they're trying to be zealous, they're trying to worship God, but they're off on the truth. So instead of leading people towards God, which was their intention, they're actually leading people away from God. And so what's the takeaway, right? Passion and following God is important, but it's not enough, right? Sometimes we can be so taken by people who are passionate about following God, right? Those people that look so passionate, they feel so holy, they, they speak with such conviction, and it can be so captivating, right? But passion doesn't make up for the truth, right? Here's how it works. There's an order that's important. Knowing the truth causes true, acceptable, passionate worship to God in your life, right? So the order's important. Both are important, right? If you claim to know the truth, but have no passion, right? We've also got questions, don't we, right? If you're saying, man, I'm a Christian, but there's never been any passion. Like there's ups and downs as Christians, but if there's never any passion, is your heart changed? Do you have this life and this freedom that we've been talking about? I got questions, but the order is essential, right? We learn the truth about who God is and what he's done for us causes that passion in our lives. And very practically speaking, there's two sides of this conversation, isn't there, right? So first, um, because we've got passionate people and we've got timid people, right? And you know off the bat which person you are, right? So we're going to talk to both, right? So if you're a passionate person, Right? Here's a question for you as, as you consider this side of things. Are you ensuring the things that you passionately teach people who are God are true? Right? Because your predisposition is going to be to, to read something and get super excited about it and go. Right? That's what passionate people love to do. Right? And we need you. And that's, that's good. But the caution here on this is, are you helping them run towards God right? as you passionately teach people? Or are you unintentionally and yet extremely dangerously, 
right? Putting up those um, fake directional signs that send runners, right? Remember running the race, circling back the wrong way, right? Have you taken the time to slow down to ensure that what you're passionately teaching people is actually true, right? Listening to God's word, listening to his spirit. And for those of you on the more passive, timid side, right? Your your inclination when you hear this and you see this text is you're like, well, then I'm not going to teach anybody anything, right? Because that's terrifying, right? I don't want to hinder somebody's race. And how can I really be sure if I'm right? Right? And so that can be our disposition as well, can't it? But we can't do that either, can we? Right? That's not what we see in God's word. Right? We are to follow God. And we're called to exhort and rebuke and encourage one another. Right? We're called to teach each other. We're called to teach our children together as a body in the church. Right? We're called to encourage one another. How do we do this? Right? In accordance with God's word. And there's so many things in the Bible that we absolutely can stand on. Um, we were praying as elders, um, just so you guys know. Um, as elders, whenever we get together, we pray for you. Uh, we take an hour um, at the start of our meeting, and we pray for the church. Um, and that's really awesome. And it's because we love you, and we're very grateful for you. And so we pray. And I love praying with the elders for you and um, I was stuck by, uh, struck by Dustin's prayer, um, who spoke last week, and he reminded us that in 1 John, over and over and over and over again, it says, this we know. In that book, if you read that book, just scan it. It goes, this we know, this we know, this we know, this we know. There are so many things as Christians that we can absolutely be sure of, and the gospel's at the forefront of that. And so... We can be sure of so many things, so let's not waver on those things, right? And then in the things that are more on the fringes, let's have grace for each other and humility as we figure those things out. And personally for me, I'll tell you right now that my greatest fear as a preacher is teaching you something that's wrong. It's, it's terrifying to teach you something that's wrong. And that's why I study hard each and every week. I pray desperately each week. Um, and I try to show you with all my funny colors on the screen, wherever I can, I want to show you where in God's word I am getting the things that I am getting. Because I want to teach you the truth. But here's the most terrifying part, theology-wise. In spite of these things and all these safeguards I put in place, I know I'm going to fail. I know that I'm going to fail because I'm an imperfect human and I don't have everything right. I will get things wrong or not fully fleshed out or presented poorly, right? And that's terrifying. So you might ask, how can you get up here each week knowing those things, knowing on top of that that all the preachers of God's word um, will be judged more harshly by God? How do you do that? It's the advice that I'm giving to you, the advice I didn't just pull it out of the sky. It's the advice that I need every single week to get up here, right? It starts with obedience, right? Remembering that we are called to spur each other on to love and good works. We're called to run this race together. As a pastor, I'm called to teach you, to encourage you, and to rebuke you. And God gave those commands knowing that I'm wildly imperfect and sinful and a failure. And I'm going to do those things imperfectly. And the same can be said for you, right? So we trust God, don't we? 
I have to trust God and his promise to help us run the best race possible and rest in the fact that he does the hard work. He does the heart change, right? We need to listen well for the spirit as he affirms truth, points out error. And we teach each other in humility, right? Being ready to apologize, to be corrected, right? When it's clear in God's word that we've erred. That's what allows me to get up here, even though it's terrifying. It's obedience, it's trust, doing my best to fight my pride and be humble when I'm shown by God where I have erred. And all this stuff is so important, right? If you look at verse 12, um, you can see how passionate Paul is about the truth. In verse 12, Paul's referring to Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. Um, you can look it up on your own time. When you read it, you know, well, you'll know why I told you to look it up on your own time. Um, but it very plainly outlines the fact that those who are emasculated are forbidden to enter the assembly of the Lord. And so that's what he says here, right? He says, I wish that um, those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. He's saying, I wish that those who unsettle you, who are teaching you things that aren't true, would stop calling themselves a Christian, would stop leading people astray, would stop claiming to be part of the family of God, but rather that they would be emasculated so that they wouldn't be let in. That's what God, he says there. He's passionate about the truth. And then we come to verses 13 through 15. This is where I want to spend the remainder of our time because this is the real start of the practical implications of the gospel. And Paul is going to give us an answer to a question that we may never even have asked or thought about before. He's going to tell us the purpose of freedom. Have you ever considered what the purpose of freedom is? Right? Freedom's been a really big topic these last few years, and rightfully so. Right? It's an important discussion to have. But what is the purpose of real, biblical, God-given freedom? Look at it in the yellow. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is why I love studying God's word verse by verse, because if you would have asked me three weeks ago what the purpose of freedom is, I wouldn't have come up with this. And yet it's so clear there, right in God's word, isn't it? Right? What's the purpose of freedom? Right? It's not to serve your own interests. It's not to make your own life better. It's not so that you get to do what you want to do. Right? Christ died for you to give you freedom in order that you would serve one another church and serve our community. That's why he gave us freedom. That's why he died for us. Right? And that, that, as we would serve people, it wouldn't be out of compulsion or guilt, but through love. That's what he's called us to, right? You're motivated by the love that you have been loved by, right? That's why we remember communion, why I keep telling you this can't get old, right? Because if that's got old, then this is going to get old, and you're never going to live it out. To constantly be reminded over and over again of the incredible love that Christ showed for you. And then that causes in you a desire for others to even just get a glimpse of that love that has absolutely changed your life. And so you want to show others that love. You just, you're desperate for them to get a glimpse of it. And you want them to see that in you so that God would be glorified. So that comes from knowing what God's done for us, the truth. And then we see it lived out in our lives. 
Right, so why did Christ set us free? It's to serve others in love. That's the purpose of our freedom that we have been given as Christians, to put others first over and over and over and over and over and over again. To care deeply about people that rub you the wrong way. Right? To love people that you always see things differently on. To love people that hate you and make your life miserable. Because that's what Jesus did for me. And he did it for you. That's love. That was the purpose for freedom. I love this quote from B.B. Warfield. He says this. Self-sacrifice brought Christ into the world. And self-sacrifice will lead us, his followers, not away from, but into the midst of men. Wherever men suffer, there will we be to comfort. Wherever men strive, there will we be to help. Wherever men fail, there will we be to uplift. Wherever men succeed, there will we be to rejoice. Self-sacrifice means not indifference to our times and our fellows. It means absorption of them. It means not that we should live one life, but a thousand lives, binding ourselves to a thousand souls by the filaments so loving, a symphony that their lives become ours. Does that not give you goosebumps? Considering the life, the freedom that Christ has called us to. For freedom you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but to serve one another through love. And so what does all this mean? Right, this means that we throw out our worldly thoughts about freedom. The purpose of freedom is not that we would reach our potential, but that we would sacrificially serve others so that they would fulfill their God-given purpose for their life. The purpose of freedom is not that we would finally discover ourselves, but instead, freed from pride and self-absorption, that we would find that true joy is found in laying down our lives for those around us. The purpose of freedom is not that we would follow our heart and follow our dreams, but instead that we would find, others would find a new heart through God's work and see God's dreams for their lives flourish because of his work in their life, right? That we would experience the profound joy of being the sinful, imperfect person that God chose to use in some small way to see someone else find eternal life or to see someone else be made more like Christ. That's the purpose of freedom. And the glory of freedom is not found in comfort or security or self-actualization or the pursuit of self-gratification of any kind, is it? Freedom is found in sacrificial love and service towards others over and over and over again, especially when it's hard. Why? Why? Because true freedom is found in being made more like God. That's where freedom's found, right? Acting like God, operating like God, living like God, having the mind of Christ, thinking like God, right? And this is how God operates. You look at those verses in the yellow there. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this hits home for me over and over again. 
I've shared this with you before. I think my greatest struggle in the Christian life is that my heart loves comfort. I love comfort. And so what I'm preaching here today isn't something that I've mastered, um, but something that is literally every single day a fight because my heart's inclined to comfort for me and not for the good of others. So the, the words in yellow, they can look so simple, can't they? And yet we know it's so hard to live this out. I'll ask you the question that God was asking me this week as I studied. It's this. How much do you love yourself? How far are you willing to go for your own comfort? For your own joy? How much do you love yourself? Right? We can look around at the evil in the world. And most of it is driven by a love of self, isn't it? And that love of self that we see in the world is so strong that it is willing to completely disregard the welfare of others for its own joy and comfort. People are willing to kill for money. People are willing to do unspeakable things sexually, willing to leave another human made in God's image with an emotional scar that will never go away until we see Jesus face to face. For the sake of their own pleasure, people are willing to go to war, to throw away hundreds of thousands of lives for the sake of power and their own glory in the history books. People are willing to step on others to move up the corporate ladder. People are willing to kill unborn babies for the inconvenience it causes in their life. People are willing to tear down others emotionally just to build themselves up. People are willing to remove anyone from their life, anyone who's toxic, who disagrees with them, or causes them discomfort. People are willing to disregard their husband, or their wife, or their children, or their church, in order to do what they want to do. Are we getting close to home yet? There's so much evil that's driven by a love of self. My point is that that same evil is inside of me. And it's inside of you. And it manifests itself in different ways in all of us. But in the sight of God, it is pure evil. So let me ask you again, how much do you love yourself? How far are you willing to go for your own comfort or pleasure or security? God is calling us to love those around us with the same passion, the exact same passion that we pursue, that our heart is naturally inclined to love ourselves with, and instead to pursue it passionately, to love others, when we disregard our own lives for the good of others. And this thought's been blowing my mind this week, because we do this so imperfectly, but God does it perfectly. And does that not amaze you? I was thinking this week about all the times where I struggle to sacrifice, where I struggle to forgive, where I struggle to do this and to serve selflessly. And then I was considering God. And God steps up to the plate every single time and hits it out of the park. He's batting a thousand with a billion home runs. That's, that's incredible that God would do that. So what we're going to do in a minute is we're going to take two minutes and we're going to pray. When I say so, 
I'll give you a prompt. Christians, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about two things as you talk to God. Number one, I want you to praise him that he loved you and he continues to love you with this perfect sacrificial love. I want you to, number two, ask him, where does this need to change in your life? Where does this need to change in your life? Start with one or two people where you need to lay down your life as Christ laid his down for you. Start there. And if you aren't a Christian here with us this morning, again, we're so grateful that you're here. And I want you to take this time to think about the freedom that we've talked about today. Think about what Jesus did for you. Think about the times where you experienced a glimpse of this freedom in your life, because I believe you have, right? When it's called God's, um, it's, it's a general grace thing. When you sacrifice yourself for others, when you put others first, what did that cause in your soul? What did that cause in your soul? I would wager it's the joy and the freedom that we've been talking about today because of God's general grace in the world that he put into our hearts that we would experience glimpses of this even before we follow him. That joy that you found in sacrificing yourself to save um, for the good of others, consider that that's the freedom that God wants to give you right now, both now and for all of eternity but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be, would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Real freedom is found in having your heart changed, operating like God operates in the Son of God Most High, set the ultimate example by sacrificing himself, by sacrificing everything, for your good and for mine. So let's take two minutes, close your eyes, and take some time with God. It's easy to just rush out of church. Don't want to do that today. I want to take some time, do business with God, and I'll come up and close us in prayer.
God, we all need you desperately. Every single hour, I need you desperately. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. That I would serve others. The glimpse of the sacrificial love that the God of the universe showed at the cross. God, I need you. I fail so frequently at this. My heart is so predisposed to love me and not others. My heart is so predisposed to think about what I need and not others. Lord, would you help me to live in the freedom that you have called me to live in, the freedom that you died for, the freedom that you came back to life for. God, I need you desperately. We all do. And Lord, I thank you for the glimpses that we have felt. I pray that people would cling to those. Those moments where they, they did do what you've called them to do, where they've lived in that freedom, where they've sacrificed for the sake of others. To remind our hearts of the freedom that that caused in our soul. God, I want to live in that more. I want to live in that moment by moment. And God, I pray that we would not just think of this individualistically, but that we would do these things together as a church. Lord, my prayer is that as a body, that we would be confusing. God, I want to be so confusing to people that walk in that aren't Christians and say, what is going on in here? I've never met a group of people who care so much about others instead of themselves. Who the first thing out of their mouth isn't what's good for me, but what's good for others. What's good for the body? What's good for our community? We want to be desperate to give them a glimpse of you and your love that you showed to us. So God, I pray that you would continue to build us as a body, as a church at Calvary, that we would be a confusing people. I pray that we would be a confusing people even to Christians. Lord, there's a lot of things that people can make reels about on Instagram that are embarrassing about churches. And a lot of it has to do with selfishness. God, I pray that we would be not a selfish people, Lord, but that we would be people given to sacrificial love for one another. Lord, I pray that that would start with me. Would you help me? Would you help each of us? As we go, we love you. We are so grateful for what you've done for us. We're so grateful that there's only one gospel and we're thankful for the freedom that we have found in you, in you alone. Will we go this week and live it out passionately for your glory, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.